Find Cody Willard and Brian Gallo at Scudify. See all of Cody's trades and his latest positions at tradingwithcody.com. Whoa, no boo, ho, we get a clue, yo, do I blew your mind from to you to Soho, Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Souls, get around like hobos, yo, we be tearing it up, you gon' get it, how you giving it up? This is Cody Willard, and you are listening to Cody Underground, the podcast. I am joined today, again, by my new friend, uh, Brian Gallo, uh, money manager, tech investor extraordinaire, um... Scudify, All-Star. Brian, welcome back to Cody Underground. Awesome. Great to great to be here. Um, great. Had a great time last podcast. So well, we had a lot of great – sorry, we had a lot of great feedback from that last podcast, Brian. Uh, people really found what you talked about stimulating. Someone, some of them found it controversial. Some of them just thought it was brilliant. So <laughs> – you probably covered all your bases on that. I used to say on Fox that when the conservatives were mad at me and the liberals were mad at me, I was doing my job. So I feel the same way. I would so, rather be unpopular uh, in, in some ways than than popular. But we covered that last time, so let's get right oh, into well, it. Well, so let's sort of pick up where we left off last time. I I I I think there were a few topics that I still wanted to get into. First question that came up in my mind later after listening to that podcast talk that we did where it was you talked about exit strategy and hopefully you leave these stocks for your children, but that one of the things that might make you sell would be when a founder leaves. Yeah. And you still own Apple. Steve Jobs is gone. Right. How do you and, reconcile and, that thought process? And or first, is that do you make an exception or what just please go ahead. No, no, no. That's uh that's definitely something that it's a great question. And so companies that are around for a long time, they're, the, the founders generally are not going to be running the company anymore. When a company gets to a certain size, this is not the case for Apple, but for, for example, like Twitter, for example, which is a company we own, um, the, the, they need a CEO. And as long as the CEO is within that original team, like Eric Schmidt was at Google, like this Dick Costello is at Twitter, as, as long as they were like the original team member, in other words, they have the DNA of that startup DNA, that founder DNA. Tim Cook has that startup DNA. Johnny Ivey has that startup DNA. Uh, it's, uh, that's easy. That's easy. And so um, how, do you, that, how, do you differentiate, really how do you differentiate between good founding members, a great quality management team, like I agree with you, say Twitter or Apple, which both of which I own, Google I also have owned since it's IPO and um, still own. And how do you decide when, when, like the Yahoo's or GoPro's or some company, how do you differentiate between the companies you do like and the companies you don't like and the management okay. themselves? How do you decide when it's a visionary DNA kind of a play versus just a guy who started a company and it's grown well and he's not necessarily anything to shake your hat at. I mean, like, it's it's experience and it's now, I've, to be clear, it's kind of feel. It's kind of a feeling I get and I, I wish I could codify it a little bit better. I've tried my best, but, for example, it, I, I probably would, would like Yahoo if Jerry Yang was still the CEO, but he lost interest in the company, just like... The guy that ran MySpace 
lost interest in the company and sold, so, so, so they're gone. So that makes an easy case. Now, the great one you bring up, and, and I could be totally wrong on this, was GoPro, right? And so I, it's literally on feel. I had uh, – So let's be clear. Little, you, you, the, I, okay. the, for people that don't, aren't familiar with your positions because they don't read you every day on Scudify like I do, right. you're a long GoPro. You bought it. You I, owned it for some time very soon after its IPO. And part of it, you said, it's because the founder is a visionary and you believe in him. So, yeah, please continue what you were saying. And it's like it's like these little things that I pick up that uh, and, I'll, and I'll share I'll share with you. And people say, well, that's crazy. But, uh, you know, this is what has worked for me in the past. But I could be totally wrong on GoPro. You know, they could totally have missed the ball with the live streaming. They could have done all those things that you pointed out. And, and, and I'm okay with being wrong on this one because I've got a real good feel about it. Um, and it was Brian Bain, a, a fan investor at Studify, he, he tipped us off to all that. So we were able to get on IPO shares. Now, we didn't get that many, but we got it in the 20s, right? What really sold me was when it, through it, it was – I'm not sure the name of the company, but it was some platform where you could, you know, the average investor could get get, get in on IPOs. Level Royal Free, I think it's called. Something like he that. Was, yeah, we, yeah, I know what you're talking about. This is going back CEO, to when GoPro King Public. And CEO, right beforehand, they they offered the shares through this alternative system, sort of a pre-public way of investing in it for the average Joe rather than just the mutual funds or hedge fund connected guys at the Goldman Sachs and the Morgan Stanley's of the world. And it was, it was Cody, it was one of the most brilliant pieces of marketing I've, I've seen in the past several years because we weren't getting a lot of shares. We weren't getting anything in size, but the perception was, and I, and this is huge. He came on and he gave like a two minute YouTube or a video presentation of the company, his belief system and his idea that he wanted to, let the average investor like myself participate in this in this company and he was young and he's a surfer dude and he reminded me of Steve Jobs and then I did some research on his background and he came up in that he grew up in Atherton which is you know that's the Silicon Valley area and I just liked the DNA and I liked the way he presented the company his vision for it in a very short amount of time and his charisma charisma and people really i believe short sell charisma elon musk moves stock price from tweets that's because he's charismatic well i might even say that elon musk is so (laughs) darn charismatic he gets the republican democrat regime to fund his factories to the tune of billions of dollars and live as pays himself and his shareholders billions off the uh the proceeds i might exaggerate slightly but not by much but okay, so that's actually real. That's very illuminating to say it's. It, some of this is more art than science, and that's okay. Yeah. I, I think that I, you know. Just the other day, I was with, at lunch with some average Joe uh, retail owner. A guy owns a, a, an auto body company and does a great job. He's had it for many years, and uh, we were at lunch, and he asked me, "So, what are what are people investing in now that I should be looking at?" and you know, part of my answer was, well, it doesn't matter what people are investing in now. It matters what's going to work for you over the long term. And that 
there's never a, a silver bullet. There's no easy answer. You don't get to check off a list and go, well, now this stock is perfect. Let's buy it. What tips, what, on that note, what tips you to the final decision? You've, you watched that GoPro video. You've done some homework on it. You've maybe put in, because you, you knew you weren't going to get many shares, but getting in on the pre-IPO, you had a pretty good chance of getting a pop, if nothing else. Why do you decide to get this a long-term investment? Is is did you just describe the entire process, or is there more to it? I, 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 I it's, it's it's crazy, and I, and I, the guys at Europac when I worked for Peter Schiff used to laugh at me because we were we were right in front of that gold boom, and we we crushed it during that period. It was like 2009, um, so we would uh, uh, get these you know smaller cap junior mining companies, and they. <laughs> they would be like, okay, well, how did you decide you like, you know, First Majestic, or how did you decide you like Redback? And I'm like, I'm looking at the website. I want to know what the website looks like. Because back then, back then, some of these companies understood that the website has to be popping and it has to be hot, and a lot of them didn't, right? And a lot of them didn't think they just thought that was an extra expense that they didn't want to incur. My 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 second my second question was. And this is going to sound crazy, but it feeds into a system that has worked for me for the past decade or so. Is well, I want to hear from, and, and it was great. At Europac, we actually got to meet the CEOs of these companies. You know, what? How is the CEO going to come across in public, right? How is this guy going to present the company? How is he going to sell the stock to the world? So and let me get this straight. Then you, I mean, it sounds like ninety-nine percent of your decision on making an investment is qualitative judgment of management versus spreadsheets or quantitative analysis or financials or looking out and modeling fundamentals. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that because, again, people think that, hey, we just run some models and it looks good and the charts are right, so buy the stock. That I don't think that ever works long-term anyway. So is am I right? Is there how much fundamental analysis and looking at, Valuations or have, anything at all you do. I, I have, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm pretty dangerous in calculus. I've, I've got pretty decent math competencies. But what I've learned in this game is that, uh, especially when it comes to valuing the future and the growth of any company, you can make the numbers say whatever you want them to make. You know, based on a certain assumption, you tweak this number here, you tweak that number in your spreadsheet, you can get whatever number you want. And, you know, Wall Street kind of works. That's how Wall Street works. They give, I mean, you know, I've been kind of really out of the mainstream Wall Street culture for several years now. But, you know, the the model used to be the investment bank would get together with the company, come up with some sort of made-up number, right, (laughs) present it to the street. So why even, you're almost better off not looking at the number and and evaluating, you know. I think you're pulling out a lot of you're doling out a lot of wisdom here. And I used to beg my producers on TV to allow me to do a segment called Your Biggest Mistake because I think that would have been the most valuable thing that most uh, that we could ask most successful investors. What's, give us some, of, some examples of, like, tell us a story, an anecdote here. What's the worst, stupidest mistake you've ever had to suffer through in your time on Wall Street? And then maybe just give us some life lessons about the things that you do try to avoid. Um, th- thank you for that. I'd love to tell this because it's probably my favorite anecdote that I that I always tell. And I'm like, 
a firm believer in that the, the obstacle is the way, which is a book by Ryan Holiday. It's a book about stoicism. The, 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 the biggest problems, the biggest challenges, the, the things that you can barely get out of bed in the morning to face are what make you what you are down the road. So there's incredible opportunity. And, and the, my most recent one was three years ago we did uh, – we were very big in Facebook private shares. That was the last real size bubble that uh, I believe we, we were in. That was not that long ago. That was 2013, 2012. That was 2012. Okay, and what happened was it was the very beginning of the private shares market. So Facebook allowed their shares to trade privately as free as any company ever and since. And therefore, everybody and their cousin and their uncle and people I didn't know were calling me, asking me if I could get them Facebook shares because I, I was the guy. That's when you know it's a bubble. In that moment, I swear I did not. I had no clue. I just thought this was going to be the – and I had been on the street long enough to know better. But I thought this was going to be the greatest IPO in the history of the world, and we all know what happened with that. And I had literally put uh, with with Wedbush, the the uh, the great LA Investment Bank. Brian, uh, let, let uh, if you don't mind, yeah, Brian, let me actually yeah. let, let's let's yeah. tell people what did happen. So Facebook came public, and because of all of that hype and interest before the IPO had even hit, it bubbled up at least in the short term to a point where. I thought Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg were incredibly brilliant for selling at the maximum highest price they could possibly get for their long-term shareholders. They were able to take all of that extra cash that they got, put it on the balance sheet, and subsequently the stock dropped like 40% in the next month after that IPO because all of that bubble, bubble demand those people were not long-term good shareholders, and they puked and sold the stock as it was helping drive the price lower, becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Did I say all that right in a way that you would agree with? You said you said it right. There was an incredible. It was an incredible experience, and like I said, it was probably it was the worst business experience of my life. But looking back on it, it was the best. There was a lot of things that happened. They doubled the float. There was so much demand in the private market that they doubled the float like two or three days before the IPO, okay, like Wednesday night, right? And, like, it was – I mean, I, I was high like I was on drugs. I was so excited for this thing. And that should have been the indicator right there. And, 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 and you know what? You're right. It, it, it got the company twice as much money as they would have Exactly. And, and so I, I was lucky enough, if you want to call it that, or smart enough to actually avoid Facebook on the IPO. I had friends and 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 subscribers and people on Scudify asking me about the Facebook IPO, and I was turned off by how much hype there was going into it, and I hoped and prayed it would crash afterwards so I could buy the stock. <laughs> and, of course, I loaded up on it in the 20s and the, in the teens, and the rest is history. I still own it, and I know you've written it right on up, and you've got, I'm sure, a double or triple because you bought more after the IPO. Am I correct? We did, and, and we we had great great investors. Still, we lost some people. I would say we had still 95 people stuck with it and, you know, a much smaller percentage uh, added to it, including myself, um, you know, at like 25. Down at 17, though, I was praying a lot harder than you were praying um, before the IPO. And I, I literally was about to shut my business down if I put my entire book in it, everybody I knew in it. Um, 
Yeah, and if and and and, and, and would you do that again the same way? It worked out for you because Facebook came back. But what if it had been MySpace and the stock had dropped to five bucks or something? And truly, you know, then at that point, you've got a, it's got to rally five hundred, six hundred percent to get back to where your cost basis was. Would you have puked at that point? Would you close the business? Would you be a failure yeah. on Wall Street at that point? I, here's the, the the reality of it. Publicly, we never went wobbly. We never. We always said we, we like this team. We believe in Mark Zuckerberg. We believe they'll figure it out. Um, but privately, it, I, I was I had no at, at 17 bucks. If it went to zero, I would have been probably less surprised than when it turned around very quickly and went to 80 bucks at that time in that moment. So yeah, I would I would have shut it down, and uh, you know you wouldn't be talking to me right now. Isn't that incredible? The, and, and, and there's lessons in that for the listeners, too, that a lot of – A, you got to persevere when the things don't go right, and B, it's amazing how small a little thing like you being involved in Facebook early on had a negative impact short-term and then eventually has had a very large positive impact on your career. Going back to that question, then, what give us – we've only got a few more minutes, Brian, and – I know it's a late on a Tuesday afternoon New York time. Are you in California? I'm in, I'm in California, but I, I teach a meditation class later today, so I I oh. got to kind of do that hard All right. stuff. Well, God uh, bless. <laughs> give, me, give us two of the most important lessons. Just a short little overview. Like, what do you what is the what do you see your clients do that over and over again? That's so stupid. That's so silly. That you just wish you could pound their head and go stop doing this. Great question, and I, and I really I'm glad you. That was the, the, the telling the, the Facebook story. I think is hugely important. It, it's 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 you, you can't. There's no there's no gain without a massive, you know, paying dues paying. Okay, and I, I see, I see it in, in 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 I see it across every domain. Whether you're coming to uh, Scottify for the first time and opening a tradier or e-trade account, and you know you expect to you expect capital gains right away, or you, you, you run a few Facebook ads, or you get on Twitter, and you expect to do business right away. There's this, there's this kind of entitlement mindset that we expect a lot for doing very little in this country, and that's the product of being in the greatest country in the world. But you've got to pay your dues. You, you can't just turn on, you know, sign up for Twitter and expect to have a following. You've got to be a service first. Okay. So instead of, like, trying to figure out, which is the old Wall Street paradigm, like, what can I get? How am I going to get mine? How am I going to get paid? You've got to be thinking about how can I be a service? How can I add value to the world a hundred times over before I even ask for the sale? And so what I would love to see more of from even some of my really smart, great friends in the business is more of this service-first mentality that I feel like you've embodied so, for, for, for the majority of your career. The flip side of that is, as a friend of mine might phrase it, people choose different times to cash in their chips. And I, I've spent a lot of time wondering, do I do – too much free? Do I do too much that I'm not charging for? Can I make more money if I were more diligent about my time and what I give to people? 
how do you do, how do you find a balance first of let's just put it all out there and pay my dues and hope that I get my bucket out in front of the cash moving around at some point versus making sure that you are getting paid your value. I think that in in okay, well everyone's going to answer that question for themselves. I think in this day and age, the movement is going from Gary Vaynerchuk wrote one of uh, the great marketing books, Jab 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 Right Hook. It's about being of service, being of service, adding value, then ask for the sale. And, you know, so the ratios back when he wrote it or even were like 10 to 1, like do 10 things for free before you ask for something. I actually feel like going forward, it's, it's much, much higher than that. It's like 100. Or when, you don't even ask for the sale. Russell Simmons, one of my great mentors in the meditation world, the great hip-hop mogul, says, give and give and give and give and give and give until you make yourself indispensable, until they can't live with you, until they can't live without you. And so... I, I would I would not even worry about that. I, I think especially some of the younger people, or even the older you know people that that follow you, is I wouldn't even be concerned about any of that. And I would just I would just give relentlessly and make yourself um, so valuable that they can't live without you. And let's repeat the names. Uh, well, I think most people know Russell Simmons, but Gary Vanderchuk. I used to have him on my show on Fox and. Okay. He started off doing like a wine YouTube review show, and it's turned it into a multi million dollars public speaking inspirational technology brilliant guy speaking in books and et cetera. Am I got that correct, you think? Yeah, he he's become uh he's probably the, the the top marketer, just general marketer out there right now and he's become one of the most successful angel investors in the world. He was early on Twitter, you know, he's he's early on Meerkat now, he's early on everything. So Meerkat's uh, doomed because of Meerkat's doomed because of Twitter's Periscope, but that's a topic for another day. Well, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. And he also hey. Gary, he's a co he's a co investor with us in Roll, which is one of our startups as well. So we're so a huge fan of his, and we'll follow I, him into any deal. I've got a lot of friends and followers of my own that also I know have verbalized that they're big fans of Gary. Anything you want to leave the listeners with before we shut it down here? Um. I just, yeah, I actually wanted to uh, really quickly, because I, I know you were a little conflicted about bringing this up, just offer my prayers to, to your family and to Emeritus, and I know everything's going to be great, but that's not just it. I, I really want to um, thank you for actually, and I know I have a tough time with this, but like talking about that publicly, because the value out of that post was immeasurable. You, you affected me in a, in a very major way, and I'm sure you had the same effect on your followers. So That's I get the really, idea of keeping. Thank you, know, you I get the Brian. idea of keeping your private private life and public life somewhat separate. But I, man, when you came when you came with that, uh, it, it it really had a profound effect on me. And, I, and I, I, we're all pulling for you, and we're all praying for you. So thank you so much. And since we're on the topic, and we didn't actually say what it was here on the podcast, I'll go ahead and address it here too. Um, and yeah, to be honest, I I cried when I wrote what you're talking about, and I cried when I read it later, and I will tear up talking about it now. Um, I, I'm, we're, my wife and I are pregnant with our second daughter, and um, we two weeks ago found out that she has what's called trisomy 13, which you guys can Google trisomy 13, but it's pretty, the outcomes can be pretty severe, and it's reality, and my wife and I just want to be, as I wrote in that article, lights to the world as we deal with our lives and this is us trying to be a light to the world and yes it's uh it, it it sort of makes all of this other stuff seem frivolous in some ways and i really appreciate your kind words and 
um, helping me communicate it again in the podcast because it is to get this out there and shine a light on Trisomy 13, try, shine a light on how difficult all of our lives can be because, like I wrote, we all think we have a playbook for this stuff, but there are real feelings, dealings, and real life that we got to deal with. Brian, thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. That, that was just uh, very, um, you know, well, stand up and, uh, and honorable for you to bring up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's, there's massive love for you out there, and, and there's massive prayers for you out there. So, uh, you know, thank, thank you again for, for your willingness to put that out there and to share it. Well, sure. And uh, everybody, that's Cody Underground, the podcast, and uh, be a light to the world. Thanks, Brian. Take care, Cody.